Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Welcome in, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk is on 69 of the podcast in yeah. America. Hey. The Air Sports Podcast. Yeah. It is Friday, August 12th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for the FFE, the Fun Friday edition. Of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, here is what you need to know about today's show. A little bit of a slower Friday in sports, but that's okay. You know why? Because we still got a great show. What we're going to start with is uh, Pete Thamel, ESPN, put out his list of college football's hot seat coaches coming into the season. And uh, we never miss an opportunity to talk hot seat. I, I didn't need the article, but it's a good way to use it as a jumping off point. Obviously, some stuff that Pete thinks going into the year, some stuff that I think. So we'll talk about that article and some of the names to know in terms of college football's coaching carousel coming into the season. Uh, from there, we'll talk about college sports' new great rivalry. How about Stoops versus Calipari? That is right. Kentucky's basketball coach versus Kentucky's football coach going at it publicly on Thursday. Very strange deal. Uh, and I'll admit, it's one of those deals that I kind of understand both sides. Understand what Cal was trying to say, even if it didn't come out right. Understand why Mark Stoops was mad. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then we will end with our Friday staple. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Uh, no major announcements really before we get to today's show. One quick thing, uh, if you do love college football, make sure that you find the college football betting show. Uh, we are doing uh, conference-by-conference previews, over-under, stuff like that. So if you love college football, make sure to do that. That is available uh, wherever you look at uh, podcasts, Apple, Spotify, also, just relaunch the YouTube channel for the start of the year, so make sure to find us there, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, really ramping up that YouTube channel. If you could be a friend, go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. It would go a long way. College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. If you search that, you will find it. Speaking of college hoops, college football, I should say, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is this is that in the preseason, in college football, there are always a few topics you got to hit on. Who do I like to win the national championship? Who do I like to make the playoff? Who do I think is going to win the Heisman? And oh, of course, the college football coaching carousel. 
And so over the last couple weeks, whether it was on YouTube, uh, privately, on Instagram or Twitter, a few of you have said, Torres, what are you going to do the, the hot seat coaching carousel uh, piece on the podcast? And so, you know, I've been waiting for the right time. First of all, I should say, hot seat stuff you guys love. I mean, this show really blew up last year uh, in many ways, thanks to what happened at LSU and USC, the poor plight of Clay Helton and Ed Orgeron. But I've been waiting for the right time. You know, there is no perfect time. But Pete Thamel from ESPN did put out his coaching carousel kind of update on, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, and it felt like a good time, a good jumping off point to just talk coaching carousel, to just talk the names, the schools that I believe could be on the move, Uh, a couple that Pete mentioned, a couple that Pete didn't mention, but I want to get into all of it uh, and discuss it with you. What I would say is, before we get to the four or five schools that really feel like they're on the edge of making a coaching change for sure, a couple things. One, what I just said. It is expected to be a little bit of a slower coaching carousel, 30 jobs filled last year. Uh, Keep in mind, we knew LSU and USC were going to come. Had no idea that Florida, Miami would open. Had no idea that Oklahoma and Notre Dame would have their coaches leave having those jobs open. So it was a crazy carousel last year. It's expected to be slower this year. But what I would say is, is there ever really a a slow coaching carousel in this modern era? And I don't think there is, and I'm going to explain why. First of all, it's college football. As I said last week, college or last episode when we were talking about the coaches poll, college football fans love to overreact, and college football fans are impatient, okay? And so I look back to even just last year. Forget 5, 10, 15 years ago. Just last year. Think about Florida coming into the year. Now, we didn't love Florida. I don't think anybody thought they were a national championship contender. But they were coming off an SEC East title. And before that, two big bowl games, two New Year's Six bowl games. No one on planet Earth thought that Florida was going to open up last year. Only it did. Dan Mullen obviously lacked success, lost some games he shouldn't. Before you knew it, Florida was looking for a new head coach. Miami was kind of the same. Mario uh, Manny Diaz, excuse me, was coming off a pretty solid season. But the administration kind of took a more aggressive approach. They weren't okay with being just okay anymore. And so those jobs changed over. So one, I, I just think we're going to get one, two, three jobs open that we don't anticipate at the highest levels. Then, of course, there's a trickle-down effect. Like I just said, you know, Oklahoma and Notre Dame didn't fire their coaches, but they still had to find new coaches last year. So there's that element of it. And most importantly, and I think this is really important, I do think the changing landscape of college sports, both at the, the, the top end with the SEC and the Big Ten and all the money that they have, and then the lower end, I think this is going to impact the coaching carousel. At the top end, in the SEC and the Big Ten, we just talked about the Big Ten TV contract, right? We just talked about the fact that every Big Ten school is going to be making somewhere between 80 and and $100 million per year. And patience is going to be thin. We'll pay you 4 5 $6 million to start. Forget, forget you know, when you win. We'll pay you 4 5 $6 million to start. But if you struggle, you're out the door. And we can afford to pay you that. And, you know, I remember even six, seven years ago, the idea of paying 10, 12, 15 million dollars in a buyout was inconceivable. Now it's just the cost of doing business at the highest level. What I don't think you can underestimate, though, is the cost of doing business, not at the lowest levels, not in like the Sun Belt and Conference USA, but in those middle conferences like the ACC, the Pac 12, whatever. What do I mean by that? It's that as we, we, we know, The future of college sports, you want to be in the SEC or you want to be in the Big Ten. And we know that at some point there's going to be some other moves. And what I'm increasingly hearing 
schools are becoming increasingly less patient because they don't they want to put themselves in the best position when the SEC and the Big 12 or the Big 10 come calling again. They want to be in the best position to get that phone call and say come be part of what you're doing. And how do you get that phone call? You be awesome at football. So you look at a school like Miami last year. You look at a school like Florida State this year with the the, the shifting tides of college football. If Florida State has another bad year, just as an example, and Florida State's just a hypothetical here, does that fan base just say, look, we can't afford to continue to be average to mediocre in football. If the SEC decides to expand tomorrow, we could be on the outside looking in because we don't have much to bring to the table. So just something to consider there. And finally, what I would say is, College football coaches are getting smarter too. We talk about you know players all the time when they commit. Oh, this is a business. This is a business decision. This is a forty-year decision. Well, I think Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly kind of proved it's a business decision for coaches too. Where I think coaches now are looking. Hey, I'm a year away from potentially this this fan base wanted to run me out of town, and so I got to put myself in the best position to win at the highest levels. And so, no, neither Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly was going to get fired, but it's like if, if, if I'm at a place that I think I can win at a high level or I can go to a place that I know I can win at the highest levels, I have to take advantage of that. And so, again, doesn't mean um, that every job is going to open up. It doesn't mean that a great coach is going to leave another great, one great job for another like last year, but I think it's at least worth considering. Changing tides, one last thing. I've said it before. I think NIL changes the coaching carousel, too. Now boosters aren't only just paying coaches. They're paying players too, and they want to return on their investment. And so, you know, at a place like Texas, where we know they have a robust NIL program, I don't think Texas is opening up this year because of Steve Sarkeesian, the recruiting that he's doing for 2023 with Arch Manning. But I think that's another thing to consider as well. So with that said, that's all the caveat. That's all the, you know, wading through the, the, the red tape or the, the yellow tape, I guess is the right word, uh, to get through to the main point that I want to get to, which is, what are the jobs that could actually open? You know, Pete Thamel mentioned four. I'll add a couple on the back end. Uh, but there are four that seem like, you know, it's, it's go time. Like, you got to win and win and win big or you're going to be out. Let's start. The, the first one, I think, is pretty straightforward. Let's just start with one school because the coach at the AD acknowledged that the coach and the AD are on the hot seat, and that is the University of Nebraska. Uh, I think by now everybody knows the story with Nebraska. Scott Frost, chosen son, so excited to have him back, coming off an incredible year, uh, uh, undefeated season at UCF. He's the guy that's going to finally bring Centra, uh, Nebraska back to title contention. Just one problem. It's been pretty much a disaster, as uh, Scott Frost is 15-29 and 29 overall, through four seasons, there were NCAA issues, and last year it was just an abomination that I've talked about a lot. I don't need to get into details, but three and nine, three uh, nine losses by nine points or less, and it just has not clicked. With that said, though, I actually give a little bit of credit to the Nebraska administration. The Nebraska administration basically looked at the landscape last last off season and said a couple things. One. We admittedly want Scott Frost to work, right? He's the native son. He's from Nebraska. He won us a national championship as a quarterback. We want this to work. And two, we're really, 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 really close. We could have beaten Michigan. We should have beaten Michigan State. We could have beaten Oklahoma. We could have beaten Ohio State. And so rather than tear this thing down and completely start over, let's give this guy one more chance. Let's give him one more opportunity. 
Let's give him the resources to bring in the coaches that he thinks he needs. Let's give him the resources in, uh, you know, uh, you know, to, to be aggressive in the portal. Whatever he needs. So that if this does not work out, there is zero doubt that this is not the right guy. He cannot get the job done and we can move on. And I thought that was pretty cool. Now, obviously, that did happen in part because it's Scott Frost. They want him to succeed. I think Nebraska also looked at the reality of the coaching landscape last year. Obviously, LSU and USC fired their coaches early. Florida fired its coach before the end of the regular season. Miami was later on. And I think they just realized the pool of candidates that we can realistically get probably isn't great. Um, And so because of it, we're going to be patient with Scott Frost. We're going to give him one more chance. We're going to bring him back, uh, and we're going to see what he's capable of. Now, to Scott Frost's credit, we talked about it on you know the most intriguing teams a few days ago. Uh, he did his he did what he was supposed to do in the offseason. He was a winner of the offseason, killed the transfer portal, quarterback Casey Thompson from Texas, O'Shane Mathis, O'Shawn Mathis, excuse me, a defensive end from TCU, Trey Palmer, wide receiver from LSU, Kane Williams, defensive back from Alabama. He did what he was supposed to do in the, the portal. He did what he was supposed to do with the assistant coaches, bring in a new offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple from Pitt. And now it's go time. And what I would say about Nebraska is, again, they're realistic. They're transparent. I mean, Scott Frost went to Big Ten Media Days and said, I'm not going to give you an opening statement. You know what this is about. You know what's at stake for this program last this year. Let's get to work. Tell me what you need to know, and let's get this show on the road. And so I, I, I think there, there's a very good understanding of what expectations are. And if there isn't, by the way, uh, you know, it, it's been made that way with Scott Frost's contract. I think it's interesting to note. And I have noted it, but for, you know, you guys and girls are busy people. You don't have time to sit through contracts. But Scott Frost's buyout gets cut in half on October 1st, okay? So Scott Frost was, first of all, his salary was reduced, um, and his buyout gets cut in half on October 1st. And so we're going to find out really quick, not only if he has the, you know, what it takes to turn things around, but if he doesn't. I do think this is a place where they could move early to get a jump on the coaching carousel, kind of like what USC and LSU did last year. Now, again, we will find out early. Not sure if you've looked at the schedule. They play week zero in Dublin against Northwestern. They play Oklahoma at home September 17th. If they're 2-2 two and two coming out of that, if they're 2-3 and three after their Big Ten opener against Indiana, guess what? Scott Frost probably ain't making it to mid-October. And so, again, we will find out really quick. But the one thing I will say, you look at this schedule. For years, Nebraska, I think, has had the toughest schedule in the Big Ten. Uh, the year of COVID, if you remember, they were trying to play. And I think the, the Big Ten went out of their way to give them a brutal schedule. This year, that schedule is very manageable. There is no Ohio State on this year's schedule. There is no Michigan State on this year's schedule. There is no Penn State on this year's schedule. Now, they do play Michigan on the road. But their other cross, crossover games are at Rutgers and Indiana at home. They get uh, Wisconsin at home. They do have to play at Iowa. But I'm telling you, this is a, a schedule built for Nebraska to go like minimum 7-5, and 8-4. And, um, and I think even with Scott Frost, I think they would take a bowl game. They would take seven and five and the you know the 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 car care bowl. Like they don't care. They just want to see progress. They want to see progression. And we will see what happens from here. The talent is there. The administrative support is there. It's time for Scott Frost to prove it. If not, I think not only will he be gone, I do think it's one of those scenarios where he could be gone early so they can get a jump on the coaching carousel. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Let's keep it going because the next team is a pretty interesting uh, paradigm in the opposite direction of Nebraska, right? Nebraska, everybody's rolling in the right direction. Everybody wants the same things. Uh, Auburn's the exact opposite. And so Auburn is obviously, of the SEC teams, they are the most likely to make a move. Um, and they are the most likely to make the move because they tried to make the move last year. Now, you know, Brian Harson, their head coach, has become kind of a sympathetic figure over the course of the last couple months because of how he was treated. But a, a few things kind of stand out when I look at Auburn. First of all, part of the reason he's on the hot seat, things didn't go well. And, and Brian Harson has to acknowledge, and I think he has, that part of it was on him. The reason there was all the uproar and unrest at Auburn in January and February of last year was because of what happened in November and December. They lost five straight games to end the season. Um, they lost to teams that Auburn should never be losing to, Mississippi State at home, South Carolina on the road, Houston in a bowl game. Um, you know, they lost the Iron Bowl. It was a great game. They could have won it. But there is, no, th there is a reason that what happened in February happened in February. Brian Harson wasn't good in year one. Down the stretch, they fell apart, and the boosters and the fans were frustrated. With that said, it doesn't make it okay with what happened in February, which I think you all remember. But for those of you who don't, uh, let's get into how Brian Harson almost didn't survive coming into this year, which is pretty straightforward. Brian Harson, uh, late in January, early February, after signing day, he had had some problems on his coaching staff. A couple guys go, a couple guys come, all that stuff. The recruiting isn't great. This off a six and seven season. Well, what happens? We all know those internet message boards start a humming. Uh, Brian Harson is accused of some stuff. Ironically, all the rumors come out right as he leaves on vacation. And essentially, uh, it led to an independent investigation or an investigation into Brian Harson. It was pretty clear that a select few boosters uh, very much wanted him out and were trying to put him in a position where either the school investigated and found something to fire him for cause, or he would be so embarrassed and frustrated that instead uh, he would just quit and resign himself. Unfortunately for Auburn, they couldn't find anything. And fortunately, maybe for Brian Harson, he is back. And I give him credit. He looked all those boosters in the face and basically said, look, I don't really care. You can dig all you want. You aren't going to find anything. I'm the football coach, and if you don't want me to be, you got to pay me tens of millions of dollars to go away. So Brian Harson survived that. Um, and I will say, like, going into this year, there, there, there's a few dynamics at play. One, I do think that the guys that are in that program right now, the players that are in that program right now, uh, they, they have his back, right? They want him to be the head coach. They have his support. Uh, but one, what happens if things don't go well early? And then two, more importantly, again, it's almost the opposite in Nebraska. 
At Nebraska, it's clear the administration wants Scott Frost to succeed and any incremental step in the right direction. I think six and six saves Scott Frost's job. I think seven and five certainly does. I don't know what the win total is at Auburn to keep for, for Brian Harson to keep his job. It's worth noting, by the way, the AD who hired him, the AD who took the search away from the boosters and said, I'm making this hire. I'm hiring my guy. You guys aren't doing this. Alan Green, his contract expires in January of 2023, which is an interesting caveat. It's clear that if they're like, if we can't get rid of Brian Harson, we're going to make sure that you're not back. Uh, and if Brian Harson doesn't work out, that we make the next we make the next hire, not only with the football coach, but with, uh, with the AD as well. And so the AD is, uh, the AD, you know, we don't do AD uh, athletic director hot seat rankings here, but Alan Green at, at Auburn is probably number one on that list. Uh, but it does speak to, uh, you know, how kind of crazy things are at Auburn. And then more importantly, I can't even begin to tell you, like, what is realistic in terms of expectations for him to keep his job. I think for most schools, eight and four, year two in the SEC West, you're doing cartwheels unless you're Alabama or maybe LSU. But at Auburn, I don't know if that's enough this year, and I don't know if they have a, the, a good enough personnel, frankly. I, I think Brian Harson's a fine coach. I just don't think they have the players to survive 12 weeks in the SEC West, plus not a conference game with Penn State, plus a crossover game with Georgia. But what I will say for Auburn, and it'll be interesting, schedule is pseudo-manageable for them early. First five games are at home. Now, it includes Penn State. And it includes LSU. But if you're ever going to get LSU, it's this year at home early before Brian Kelly figures things out and potentially gets things rolling. So I think there's a really realistic chance that when we're talking about Auburn, they could be a team that does start the season, frankly, probably uh, 5-0 and going into, uh, going into that Georgia game. First five are Mercer, San, San Jose State, Penn State, Missouri, and LSU. I think you need to be 5-0 and going into Georgia because from there it gets much tougher at Georgia, at Ole Miss, by Arkansas, Mississippi State, on and on, A&M and Alabama in the final few weeks. So it's fascinating because this is the one school. I don't know what success looks like. I, it's clear that at least a, a large uh, vocal portion of the fan base doesn't want him at all. And maybe 8-4 and four won't be good enough. Maybe 9-3 and three won't be good enough. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how this season plays out and what kind of win total actually wins over the fan base. Just absolutely fascinating. It's always something at Auburn. It is always something at Auburn. Really quickly, the other, you know, the other two, three guys that I want to get to. First of all, Herm Edwards, Arizona State. Arizona State is, is the most dysfunctional or, uh, program in college football barn on college athletics. It's just a crazy place. Let me just set up what is going on at Arizona State. President has no idea what's going on in sports. He inherently trusts the athletic director. Just one problem. The athletic director really has no background in college sports. The athletic director is a former agent. And guess who one of his former clients was? Oh, the current football coach, Herm Edwards. So yes, how did Herm Edwards get this job in the first place? As we all remember, it's because his former agent was the AD who did that. Feels like a little nepotism to me. Feels like there's probably a state law against that. Apparently there isn't, at least not in Arizona. What's especially crazy, though, is everything that has happened since Herm Edwards took over. And to be honest, he wasn't terrible early. The problem was COVID happened, and he just egregiously broke all the, co all the rules during COVID. We talked about this with Jeremy Pruitt a few weeks ago, but Arizona State very much got caught bringing kids on campus during 
COVID dead periods. And the reports are that there was a real big divide between the part of the staff that wanted to do it, the part of the staff that didn't want to do it. But what's wild is this story really came out well over a year ago. It came out in like the spring of 2021. And I think there was a belief Herm Edwards ain't about to survive the 2021 season, yet here he is going into 2022 uh, with the job still. The problem, of course, is he's basically lost his entire staff, including defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce, played in the NFL, who was basically his recruiting coordinator, did everything. Um, he, he's lost all his best players to the portal, one, because of the NCAA stuff, two, because ASU is way behind in NIL. Um, but you lose your quarterback, Jalen Daniels, to LSU. You lose your best wide receiver, Ricky Pearsall, to Florida. You lose your best defensive player, Eric Gentry, to USC. And so right now, Arizona State has one of the least talented rosters in, 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 the, in the, the, the conference. They have a head coach that seems to be like a lame duck guy. And then on top of that, they're obviously not recruiting well because everybody knows that the coach is on the hot seat. So Arizona State, to me, very much feels like a job that is probably going to open up after the season. If they don't officially fire Herm Edwards, my guess would just be that he retires. Um, I just can't see the scenario where he's back next year because you're hemorrhaging players. You can't get assistant coaches because they're not coming to a dead-end job. Um, And it's just a deal where at some point somebody is going to have to act. But boy, oh boy, crazy scenario at Arizona State. Uh, And I'd be curious to see, kind of, by the way, what kind of candidates they could potentially get. Uh, Arizona State, a lot of people think, is a school, a program that should be operating at a higher level. But as I said, very dysfunctional. I think they're a little bit behind on the booster NIL stuff. And they got NCAA sanctions coming. So it'd be fascinating to see who would even take that job in the offseason. Last couple teams, you know, one... Georgia Tech. I'll say this. I, you know, I, it, I know we're not supposed to feel bad for guys who make six, four, five, three and a half, six million dollars a year. I do feel kind of bad for Georgia Tech's head coach Jeff Collins, who is going into year four at the school. Now, to be clear, you know, it's not like a. I feel terrible for him, and he has not succeeded. Three and nine, three and seven, three and nine, entering year four. Uh, some really embarrassing losses. But what I would say is. It was almost, a, you know, he has almost been in the midst of a, you know, perfect storm of everything that could go wrong that you can't have go wrong during a rebuild. First of all, the Georgia, Georgia Tech's one of the tougher jobs in college football. I think most people look at it and say, oh, it's Atlanta. Look at all the high school talent. You're going to have so much success. Bottom line is Georgia Tech is a small school. It's about 16,000 undergrads compared to Ohio State, Wisconsin, whoever, 30, 35, 40,000 undergrads. On top of that, it's a real academic school. It is really hard to get kids in. There's limited majors, and they're not going to just let football players in if they can block, tackle, or run. Like That's just not how it works at Georgia Tech. But two, beyond that, look at everything that has happened around Jeff Collins during this, per- during this again, almost a perfect storm to the scenario where, where we are right now where he is very much on the hot seat. One, he was replacing a former triple option head coach. That, my friends, is not easy, okay? So you have a triple option head coach. Uh, he's recruiting completely different personnel than everybody in Power 5 football. You, wanna, you don't really care if your quarterback can throw. You want receivers that can block more than that can catch. You want a smaller, quicker, more athletic offensive line because you've got guys in space and you're cutting and you're doing this and you're doing that. Jeff Collins came in and had to completely overhaul the roster because of the fact that you know it was a scenario where they had a triple option roster trying to compete, uh, you know, in a traditional way. So you have that happen. 
Then right in the middle of that rebuild, you have COVID. You're shut down. You miss spring practice. You miss fall practice. You miss summer workouts. Not ideal when you are completely transforming your roster, completely rebuilding a roster from the ground up. And then finally, you know, it's just a tough time to, to, to be in the transfer portal because, again, Georgia Tech, and I think I might have talked about this with Vanderbilt at some point, Georgia Tech's one of those schools that if somebody has success and they're not feeling it, they can bounce and leave in this transfer portal era. Um, but it's, it's harder to get kids back, right? Like I think most schools, uh, you know, fill in the blank, Nebraska, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, if you lose a guy to the portal, well, you could just go into the portal and get somebody else. At Georgia Tech, the academics have to be there. Um, you know, the, 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 the grades have to be there. There's very specific majors because it is a tech school more than it is a traditional kind of four-year public school. So really, really tough situation at Georgia Tech. Um, and, and, and I don't really see any reason to really think it's going to get better. They obviously lost their best skill position player, Jameer Gibbs, to, Nebraska, uh, to Alabama, excuse me, and they got a brutal start to the season. They play Clemson in week one. Now, the game is in Atlanta, but it's not even a home game for them. They have to play Clemson at the Atlanta Falcons Stadium. That is the Monday night, uh, you know, Labor Day game. Then they play Ole Miss in week three. Then they play at Central Florida in week four. Then they play the defending champ Pitt in week five. And then later in the year, they got to go to Florida State, to Virginia Tech, to North Carolina, and wrap with Georgia at home, uh, Georgia on the road. Are you kidding me? So final five weeks of the season. Here's their final five weeks. At Florida State, at Virginia Tech, Miami at home, at North Carolina, at Georgia. Good luck with that, Jeff Collins. Uh, perfect storm for Jeff Collins, where uh, I don't think he's surviving that much longer. Really quickly, a couple other jobs that at least have my interest. One, I'll say this. Florida State, I think, is in that interesting scenario. Now, they would owe Mike Norvell, their head coach, a ton of money for him to leave. But you got to remember, if you fall too far behind, all of a sudden things change when it comes to the, uh, the dynamics of realignment, and you don't want to fall too far behind where if the SEC expands, then you're in a situation where you know the SEC doesn't want you because you're going on a decade of irrelevance since Jimbo Fisher left. With that said, it is only year three for Mike Norvell, three and six in year one, five and seven in year two, showed some significant improvement late in the season. They started 0-4 last year, but got a lot better. Um, but what I would also say is a couple things are working against them. One, lost the best recruit in the country to an FCS school, Jackson State, and an FCS school coached by your most prominent alum ever, Deion Sanders. That is not ideal. Um, and then two, what I would also say is that the schedule is very interesting because they open against LSU. They technically play in week zero against Duquesne, but they open week one at the Superdome Sunday night against LSU. LSU is very much rebuilding. LSU's over-under, according to the DraftKings Sportsbook, is six wins this year. If you lose to LSU week one, that's a lot of digging out. And again, the schedule is not super advantageous at Louisville in week three. Uh, from there, you then play Boston College, who's improved, Wake Forest, who was the division champ last year, and then at NC State and Clemson. So you lose early to LSU. It could be a snowball trickle-down effect for Mike Norvell and Florida State. If I had to bet, I, I, I bet he survives. But he's kind of that Dan Mullen where it's like, oh, you know, it's going to be fine. Maybe Manny Diaz is the better example where even if he struggles, they'll give him another year. In college football in 2022, they don't give you more years if you're not getting the job done. Uh, Scott Satterfield's really interesting at Louisville, I should mention. Dino Babers at Syracuse. And one other one that really stands out to me. 
West Virginia with Neil Brown. Uh, like Neil Brown, like the hire, but you look at what, you know, you look at that program now as he's in year four uh, as the head coach at West Virginia. And I said this the other day on the college football betting show. I just don't know what they are. So Neil Brown, his final three years at Troy, 10 and 3, 11 and 2, 10 and 3. First three years at West Virginia, 5 and 7, 6 and 4, 6 and 7. And again, I, I don't know what they are. I, I, they have no identity. Um, there's, they don't play a certain style of offense. They don't play a certain style of defense. They're not physical. They're not tough. They don't, they're not defensive oriented. They don't recruit high school well. They don't recruit the portal well. I just don't know what they are. And I could see West Virginia, if it's a disaster, if they miss a bowl game, I could see them moving off of him. All right, so what I want to do, do you want to take a quick break? I want to come back. And as I said, I want to talk about America's newest best sports rivalry. Oh, you already know what I'm talking about. You already know I am, of course, talking about Stoops versus Calipari. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, the single best sports auction website on the internet, at least in my opinion, Pristine Auctions and PristineAuctions.com. PristineAuctions.com is the most trusted memorabilia auction site on the internet with an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. Auctions on PristineAuction.com start at just $1, and each day there are over 1,000 autographs items available so you win signed, authentic signatures at affordable prices. In addition to the sports stuff, there are comic books, trading cards, action figures, great items to add to your collections. Before the show, you already know what I did. I went on pristineauction.com, and you will not believe what I saw. You guys know I'm a UConn guy. Searched UConn. Oh, there was all sorts of Jim Calhoun paraphernalia. UConn Huskies, pristineauction.com. Just search UConn. You find all sorts of good stuff. Kentucky fans went on there, searched, played around a little bit. Some autographed stuff from last year's team, John Calipari, Ty Ty Washington, who's now in the NBA, all at pristineauctions.com. Here's the best part. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Upgrade your collection of signed memorabilia today. And here is why I am so excited to work with pristineauctions.com Go ahead and get $10 off. When you win an auction, you get $10 off when you use the code TORRES after winning that auction. So pristineauctions.com, make a bid. Win the auction because you're going to win. Everybody that listens to this show is a winner, baby. Pristineauctions.com, win. Use the promo code TORRES, $10 off. Your first win on pristineauctions.com. Again, pristineauctions.com. Use the promo code TORRES. We are excited to be working with pristineauctions.com. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, first of all, thank you again, Pristine Auctions, pristineauctions.com. Incredible supporter of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Cannot thank them enough for their support. Again, 
checkout. When you win your first auction, use the promo code TORRES, $10 off at checkout, pristineauctions.com. Really do appreciate their support. With that said, I do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk about just a wild story that really kind of took over the internet on Thursday afternoon, and it was just like the most quintessential sports story that you could have in 2022. Uh, First of all, it involved John Calipari, the Kentucky basketball coach. He said something. The Kentucky football coach uh, gets mad about it and kind of responds on social media, but why it was so crazy was because it was just such a quintessential 2022 story, as I just said. You had the coach replying on social media. You had people coming to the defense of Coach Mark Stoops. And then most importantly, you had, because it is the SEC, you had 13 other fan bases chiming in and kind of sharing their own thoughts. So let's get into it. Uh, But it kind of centers around, I think, first of all, Kentucky is one of many college basketball teams right now. They are taking a foreign tour. Uh, College basketball teams are allowed to go overseas once every four years. Kentucky is taking advantage of that. And Kentucky right now is in the Bahamas. Well, on Thursday before their second game, John Calipari did have a media availability in which he talked about a lot of different things. But one of the things he brought up was that he believes it is time for Kentucky basketball to get a new practice facility. Um, And this is something, by the way, I will say in defense of Calipari, I have heard a little bit about behind the scenes. Uh, This thing was built in 2007. Uh, Obviously, uh, there's been upgrades along the way. But since then, and John Calipari mentioned this, he said, look, you know, we've, we've built baseball a new facility, track has a new facility, football has $200 million in investment, and I do think that it is time for us to go ahead and get ourselves a new facility as well. He actually brought up something that I thought was kind of interesting, the idea of attaching a Kentucky basketball kind of history museum to this facility, kind of, you know, the fans can come, they can learn about the program, the, the basketball team can practice there, all that good stuff. Uh, but that's not where it gets interesting, though. Where it gets interesting, though, is that in the midst of having this conversation, and I, like I said, I think he, I thought he said a lot of very interesting things. Um, he did say something very, very, very interesting that, that certainly made headlines. Uh, he was talking again about a new practice facility, and this was the line that got everybody, including the football coach, Mark Stoops, fired up. He said, the reason is, this is a basketball school. It's always been that. Alabama's a football school, so is Georgia. I mean, they are. No disrespect to our football team. I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls. At the end of the day, that makes my job easier and it makes the job of all of us easier. But this is a basketball school, and so we need to keep moving in that direction and keep doing what we're doing. On the one hand, you could certainly perceive it as a little bit of an innocuous comment. Doesn't really mean much. But one person that did not feel that way was Kentucky football coach Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops saw the quote, immediately goes on social media, and here is what Mark Stoops said. Basketball school, I thought we competed in the SEC. Hashtag four straight postseason wins. His lead assistant, Vince Merrow, said, I think we're pretty good at football too. He tweeted this. Love what UK coach Stoops has done here at the University of Kentucky. Go Big Blue. And uh, yeah, former players were kind of fired up too, and current players as well. Vito Tisdale, who is currently a defensive back on this year's team, he dropped this one. He has since deleted it. But I mean, you talk about a wild thing for a player to say. He said, check this out. Y'all crap. We run the bluegrass. Y'all boys went out in the first round to St. Peter's. And then Max Duffy, a former uh, punter, said, completely out of the blue question, 
but has the Kentucky football team ever lost to St. Peter's? Oh my goodness. That is right. We had a back and forth between the University of Kentucky football coach and the University of Kentucky basketball coach, and you had Kentucky football players jumping in and basically calling their basketball program trash and referencing St. Peter's the worst loss in program history. So this story is crazy. I want to break it down. I want to get into a lot of different angles. And most importantly, what I would say is this. I know you come to this show uh, for big, big, strong, bold opinions. You know, take a side and stick to it. Uh, criticize one guy, praise the other. This is one where, you know, I'm not going to do it. Like, like, like I, it's a weird one where I see both sides of the story. I see what Calipari was trying to say. I see why he could have said it better. I see why Mark Stoops is mad. Uh, but boy, oh boy, is this an interesting story. So first of all, what I would say uh, is it was really interesting because probably about, I don't know, a month to six weeks ago, I actually had lunch with somebody uh, pretty close to kind of the University of Kentucky athletics ecosystem, right? It wasn't a coach. It wasn't anything like that, but somebody who knows what's going on behind the scenes there. And I, I think I just said it a, min- a minute ago, but he kind of mentioned that the Kentucky basketball team's facilities, they, they were falling a little bit behind. Now, you know, it's not a delay, you know, the, the building's not going to blow off, blow away with a strong wind or anything like that. But when you're competing at the highest level, when you're competing against Kansas for recruits and, and Duke for recruits and Arca, whoever, you know, fill in the blank schools that are constantly upgrading their facilities, that are constantly making sure that they have the best of the best. Uh, this guy told me that Kentucky's athletics, you know, ba- football facility or basketball facility was lacking a little bit. And ironically, and it was interesting that he said this, he actually gave a little bit of credit to John Calipari and basically confirmed what Calipari said on Thursday. Now, this guy wasn't a show for Calipari. He wasn't defending Calipari. He didn't have Stoops' back. But he basically said, like, look, you know, probably about five, six, seven years ago when things were really rolling, um, you know, Cal made some concessions. There was money needed for other projects. He kind of said, we're Kentucky basketball. We'll be okay. And then all of a sudden, you have a couple weird years, you don't make a couple Final Fours, people are frustrated, and now on top of being able to use all of that against you, they're using the Kentucky facility stuff against you as well when they're recruiting against you. And so I understand where Cal is coming from because this is kind of in the Kentucky world, my understanding, at least among kind of the administrators and the big donors and all that good stuff, uh, this is a real thing, and I think a lot of people really do feel like there is a need for it. What I would also say is that I do understand those of you that are going to sit there and say, yeah, but, yeah, but John Calipari could have done this in a way where he didn't drag football into it and belittle football in the process. And to that part, I actually agree. I do think there was a way where John Calipari could say, this is desperate times. We really do need a new facility. Uh, the story apparently was that there was a leaky roof as they were getting ready uh, to, to make this trip. They had to cancel practice, something like that. There was a way where he could say, man, we, we really do need a new facility. We need to start getting moving on this. Um, but there was a way to do it. And by the way, there was a way to do it involving the other teams without belittling them. There's a way to say it in a way of, look, baseball got theirs and track got theirs and tennis got theirs and football got theirs. It's time for us to get theirs. But instead, he said, we're a basketball school. I hope the football team wins 10 games, but we got to make sure that we get taken care of as well. And that is where I, you know, I kind of go to the Mark Stoops side of things. And I will tell you this, I do see Mark Stoops side and where he would get frustrated on this. Uh, I don't think Calipari was totally wrong. I do think Kentucky is a basketball school, but I do understand where Mark Stoops would be frustrated. First of all, as a head coach, you just got to stand up for your players, right? 
Um, you got to stand up for your players because you got to let them know that you have their back. But more importantly, I'm sure it's something that those players heard when they were recruited. And I'm sure it's something that Mark Stoops has been battling publicly and privately pretty much since he, got, since he took the Kentucky job. I'm guessing that on more than one occasion, when he's recruiting against whoever, Florida, Florida State, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, recruits have probably been told, don't go to Kentucky. That's a basketball school. They don't care about football there. Now, I know, you know, if you're an educated fan listening to the Air Tour Sports Podcast, you know that Kentucky gets 60, 65, 68,000 people at Commonwealth Stadium or Kroger Stadium or whatever the heck they're calling it now. Uh, you know, they, they get that every Saturday. But I do think this is something that Mark Stoops has probably been fighting against every single day of his career at Kentucky, now spanning a decade. And he's probably sitting there saying, Cal, you're not helping the cause here. I got to go into a kid's home and he's hearing it from Florida State and he's hearing it from Florida and he's hearing it from Tennessee and he's hearing it from Georgia. Now he's got to hear it from the basketball coach as well. That's not cool, coach. I'm going to fight for us and I'm going to let everybody know, hey, we play in the SEC and we've won four straight bowl games. Beyond that, what I would also say, beyond just the recruiting implications and we're fighting this fight, I do think it's starting to become like a little bit belittling. Yes, Kentucky's a football, a basketball school. I'm not arguing that. But what I would argue is that this school has now won 10 games in two of the last four years, and I think they're actually fighting for something bigger. Like the way that John Calipari, the way that I could see this quote coming off is that it's the big bad basketball coach kind of patting the little football coach on the head saying, good job, you made us so proud, you're doing so good, good job, good effort. And Mark Stoops is like, wait a second now, we've won 10 games two of the last four years. We're trying to build a program that can compete at the highest level. We're not there yet. We're not beating Georgia tomorrow. But our goal isn't just to get to a bowl game. Our goal isn't even to win 10 games. Our goal is to get to Atlanta and play for an SEC championship. Our goal is to win an SEC championship. Our goal is to go to a college football playoff. And so that's where I definitely do feel like I understand where Mark Stoops is coming from. It really does feel like the, co- the basketball coach, he's kind of, you know, just, you're doing so good. I can't, I'm so proud of you when you get to a bowl game. Mark Stoops is like, we've been in bowl games, man. We've won bowl games. We're trying to do bigger stuff here. And so I do get where he is frustrated. A couple more thoughts before we get out of here. You know, first of all, what I would say, it's wild to me because this is just another example of what a weird back-and-forth summer that it has been for John Calipari. Uh, early on in the summer, I really kind of thought, and I've said it on the show many times, I thought he had a lot of PRLs throughout the summer. Uh, he lost one of his top assistants, Jay Lucas, to Duke, and he had this weird quote about, you know, he came to me and told me, and he thought I was going to be mad, but I support everything he does. It's like, again, little belittling, a little out of touch, a little whatever. wasn't good. He obviously had those comments during NIL where he had his assistant coach or, or his director of ops or whatever, you know, tweeting out, we don't do NIL guarantees and blah, 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 and this and that. And like, on the one hand, I get it. On the other hand, I didn't think it was a good look. We've talked about it many times. The player at the time, Baylor Shireman, uh, I can tell you definitively, he didn't choose the school that he chose strictly because of NIL. Uh, so I just thought that was a bad look as well. But what was interesting was it felt like the last probably month or so, Things were starting to move back in the direction of pro Calipari. Obviously did incredible work, and I'm, you know, I would never belittle this part, um, but incredible work raising millions of dollars for all of the, you know, the situation in eastern Kentucky. That was incredible. That was one of the great stories in sports and great humanitarian stories that we've seen uh, all summer long in sports, in the world of sports. Beyond that, schedule Gonzaga. Now, it's not a true home and home, as I discussed on this show a few days ago. 
but you get Gonzaga at Rupp Arena, um, and that was a big win publicly for him. And so it kind of sucks that after he's finally gotten back in everybody's good graces, everybody's finally put St. Peter's behind him, that we're now in a situation where here we go again, Cal sort of put his foot in his mouth, he doesn't look good, and now he's got to go back and apologize. I would also say that on top of that, um, I think it's disappointing just talking to Texan with some Kentucky fans because this just feels like a time where where it's not even a time. It's just there's no reason both programs can't coexist, right? Everybody is excited about basketball. They're in the Bahamas. They're playing the summer tour. They have the defending national player of the year, the reigning national player of the year coming back. But football is also supposed to be really good too. Not only does basketball have the national player of the year coming back, Football has uh, maybe the number one pick in the draft next year and will leave us. And so it was an exciting time for both teams. And to see this internal infighting is just weird. And I think it's frustrating for Kentucky fans. So that is the John Calipari, Mark Stoop story. Just, you know, just a crazy, crazy, crazy story. Um, I don't know what else to say. Uh, As I record here, there has been no official formal public apology. We know that it's coming. But at the end of the day, uh, it's just one. It's weird. I do see what John Calipari was trying to say. I don't think he meant it in a derogatory or an insulting way, but I do understand why Mark Stoops was frustrated. Like I said, if I'm trying to build a team that can compete for SEC East titles and go to Atlanta, the last thing I need is my my basketball coach saying, hey, you guys over there, you're doing all right. But, but this, this is really about us and about our basketball program. So I understand both sides. Kind of a crazy story. But just, just a weird, weird, wild, bizarre story. Uh, That's what I want to do. I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, no more infighting between Calipari and Mark Stoops. When I come back, do want to play uh, what has quickly become America's favorite segment, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. A lot of stuff to discuss. Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Discuss everything next. I will be right back. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, how about our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook? Incredible offer for those of you who love Major League Baseball. Bet $5.00. On any team, any game, you're a fan of Cincinnati, you're a fan of Houston, you're a fan of Chicago, Boston, New York, whoever. Bet $5 on any team, and whether they win or lose, you get $100 in free bets, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. That's right, $5 on any team, $100 in free bets, whether they win or lose. Unbelievable offer. Here is how you can take advantage. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 money line bet on 
any team. And whether your team wins, whether your team loses, you get $100 in free bets courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best deal going in sports betting, so go ahead and act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Uh, first of all, thank you again, DraftKings. Incredible offer for those of you who bet Major League Baseball. First-time users. Click the link in the show description. Sign up for a new account. And you bet on any team or any game. Bet $5. You automatically get $100 in free bets courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Great offer. Tell them Torres sent you. And we'll have a blast betting Major League Baseball. Thank you again to DraftKings, awesome sponsor of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. With that said, though, it's time to wrap today's show as we wrap every Friday show with America's favorite segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Concept of the segment is pretty straightforward. Yes, I did steal it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Love Colin. Every week on his show, he does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, for one simple reason. Well, it's because nobody loves giving out sports opinions more than your boy Torres on any given day, week, month, year. Do it on social media, do it on my radio show, and of course, I do it on this podcast as well. And when I get stuff right, nobody loves patting themselves on the back more than your boy Torres. Oh my God, Torres told you! course I get a lot of stuff wrong too and that's why we do where Aaron was right where Aaron was wrong acknowledging the stuff I get right and definitely giving me a little slap on the wrist with the stuff that I get wrong fun way to end the week let's get into it Friday edition where Aaron was right where Aaron was wrong where Aaron was right so I might have to retire this one from the where Aaron was right where Aaron was wrong playbook because I have been so right on this Kevin Durant situation with the Brooklyn Nets For those of you who do not know, for those of you who did not see, Kevin Durant demanded a trade on June 30th, had a meeting with ownership this week, reiterated, I don't want to come back. It's either me or if you want to keep me, you got to get rid of the GM and the head coach. The owner said, "Eh, no, we're keeping the GM and the head coach, and I expect you to play. Uh, See you in a few weeks for training camp. Listen, we are entering a new world of sports, and I'll be honest, I think it's a better world. I'm not saying that players shouldn't have power. I'm not saying players shouldn't have control. I'm not saying that players shouldn't play a part in some of the decision-making. Look, you go back to, to the last dance, right? Uh, you know, Michael Jordan had say in, 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 in stuff. He had say in bringing in Dennis Rodman, but Michael Jordan didn't try to be the GM, the head coach, and the best player on the team, and I feel like increasingly that's where we've gone in the NBA with a lot of these superstars. I give credit to ownership for standing up to them. I give credit to ownership for basically saying, look, we get it. You're an incredible player, but we can't trade you right now. Nobody wants to give, you, give us what you're worth because they know that in a year from now, you could be unhappy there and they're not gutting their whole roster. I said from the beginning, 
I think the player empowerment era where the player becomes the coach, the, the GM, the best player, the guy that drafts players, I said, I think that era is coming to an end. You see the success in Golden State where there's a traditional structure, GM, head coach, players. You see it in Boston. You see it in Memphis with John Morant. John Morant, to my knowledge, has never asked for any draft pick or coach or players. And it, I, I think we're moving away from that era. I think it's a good thing. I have been saying it since the playoffs ended. Nailed the Kevin Durant situation where Aaron was right. Where Aaron was wrong. So I got to give credit to a man that I really spent, I don't know, probably about six months just destroying a year and a half ago, and that is Big Ten Commissioner Kevin, uh, Kevin Warren. I almost said Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant tried to be the Big Ten Commissioner too. But Kevin Warren came in during COVID, and I thought he was incredibly weak, and he was incredibly soft in how he handled the situation. Basically bent over backwards, basically refused to stand up to the school presidents, basically canceled football, and it's ironic because we're coming on the two-year anniversary of that, and it was crazy to look back at everything that was proposed. Well, we'll play in the spring. Well, we'll play in, in dome stadiums in the winter. It was like none of it made any sense, and I just crushed Kevin Warren for two, three, four straight months on this show. But this week, what he showed me is that, one, there is a reason that he, got the, uh, that he got the Big Ten commissioner job, and then, two, maybe more importantly, that every person in life has different strengths and different weaknesses. I don't think he was necessarily the right person to step to the plate and stand up to those school presidents and say, we're playing college football, but he was absolutely the right man to negotiate this TV contract for the Big Ten. Listen, you can like or not like what USC and UCLA did. You can like or not like where the future of college sports is going. Is, is going. But the Big Ten commissioner's job is to get the most money possible for his schools. I thought Kevin Warren did an incredible job of that over the last couple of days. Uh, signs, uh, you know, we don't even know what the details are on Fox, but when CBS is paying $300 plus million for the second set of games, when NBC is paying $300 plus million for a third set of games, it means that the promises of $1 to $1.5 billion combined from all of the different uh, outlets that are going to broadcast your games, it came true. I thought he, you know, I thought he showed that NFL background where you want multiple TV partners, you want this, you want that. And then, as I said on Wednesday's show, I think it speaks to the future of the college football playoff, which is going to have games on different networks, different this, different that. Finally, I'd wrap by saying this as far as the Big Ten and their TV contract is concerned. Uh, I don't think it's done. Uh, Nicole Auerbach a few days ago reported there might be a fourth package of games that's eventually sold to one of the streaming services. So credit Kevin Warren. I was dead wrong. This guy, he's good at elements of what he does, but he showed me this week. That guy knows how to go into a negotiating room and get his, get his partners, get those 16 Big, 12 school, Big 10 schools the most money they possibly can. Where Aaron was right. Ooh, buddy, did you see this Ben Simmons story? So I just talked about the Brooklyn Nets a minute ago. But there was a story from Rick Buecher uh, earlier this week that Ben Simmons was asked, so go back to the playoffs, right? So Ben Simmons doesn't play the first two games. They fall down 0-2. Then they fall down 3-0. There's this report that he's coming back for game four. Then there's a report that he's not ready. And according to Rick Buecher, there was apparently a group text amongst Nets players where they basically said to the guy, they said, dude, are, are, are you playing or are you not playing? And he left the group text rather than responding. Listen, I sniffed out this, this Ben Simmons story from the beginning. I am not saying that mental health is not a serious thing. I talk about it all the time. 
My wife is a mental health expert. My, my sister-in-law works in mental health. My sister works in mental health. I take very seriously the aspects of mental health. But when we just, when Ben Simmons just threw out mental health and everybody gave him a pass, it was doing not only a disservice to him, but it was ignoring the facts. This was a guy that demanded a trade. This was a guy that refused to meet with the team. This was a guy that, that didn't acknowledge the Philadelphia 76ers until, until he started having his money taken away. When he had his money taken away, he shows up to training camp, says his back hurts. When he says his back hurts and they, the doctors clear him, he, go, he goes to practice and throws a tantrum playing on his phone during drills to the point that Doc Rivers had to throw him out. It was never about mental health. I'm not saying it wasn't an aspect of it. This guy is soft. This guy is weak. And this guy, you just can't trust him. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want to undersell mental health. I don't want to undersell back injuries. We know they're serious. But this guy, it was clear to anybody that really acknowledged the facts that this guy wasn't being truthful, that there was more to it, that he didn't want to play, that he didn't want to be a 76er. I was on it from the beginning, and people criticized me. Who are you to talk about his mental health? Who are you to this? Who are you to that? I told you, the guy is showing you who he is. All you got to do is pay attention. Where Aaron was wrong. So I wasn't really wrong on this, but to go back, Kevin Warren, I thought, did an incredible job of, of taking advantage of the situation and getting the most money for the Big Ten. So where Aaron was wrong, I am starting to wonder if this was kind of the first big blunder of Greg Sankey's commissionership. Now, Greg Sankey is the exact opposite. I think he, you know, literally carries a bit, not literally, but figuratively carries a big stick. Uh, I think he was great in crisis during the COVID stuff. I thought he showed uh, his leadership abilities. I thought he was strong. I thought, I don't know if college football gets played in 2020 if it isn't for Greg Sankey. And so I give him credit for all of that. I also do think after seeing what the Big Ten just got money-wise, if he made a mistake in the, the latest SEC TV contract negotiations, for people who forget, the SEC, they did get a boatload of money, but they have committed fully to ESPN. And I think as the Big Ten showed, that's not really what you want to do in this era. You want multiple partners on multiple networks to basically, basically now, if you think about it from the Big Ten perspective, now every event on Fox, every event on NBC, every event on CBS is a promotional tool for the Big Ten. When the NFL, when they're playing that big uh, Sunday night game on NBC, you better believe they're going to be previewing the next week's Big Ten game. When they play those big Sunday afternoon games on CBS, you better believe they're playing. They're going to be broadcasting the next Big Ten game. ESPN is obviously the worldwide leader. I'm not criticizing them, but I do wonder, should the SEC have kind of branched out? Should they have sold different packages to different um, TV networks, much like the NFL does, much like the Big Ten does, much like even uh, you know the NBA does, right? I can criticize the NBA for a lot. I can't criticize Adam Silver for getting the most money possible for his 30 NBA owners. And so I look at Greg Sankey, credible leader. I'm, I'm forever grateful for what he did during COVID, but I do wonder, did he get his schools the absolute most amount of money that he could have? I'm just not sure because, again, all his games are now on ESPN. Where Aaron was right. A little bit of a fun one. I uh, talked about this really you know, over the last couple of days. But we are in the middle of foreign tours in college basketball. Say it all the time, but once every four years, teams can go overseas and play international squads. Well, Kentucky, two 40-plus point wins in two days. Arkansas, 2-0, including a 40-point win in their opener. 
Alabama has steamrolled two teams, and Auburn had a really successful foreign tour. They did lose the final game. It was to the Israeli national team that had literal NBA players on it. And so the SEC is overseas, and the SEC is beating the crap out of people, and this is one I have been on for years. I said it about six, seven years ago. I said, look, go ahead and pay attention to what's going on in the SEC from the basketball perspective right now. The late Mike Slive, when the SEC network formed, obviously Greg Sankey was right under him when that happened. Mike Slive said to his schools, you're going to make a lot of money from the last TV deal. You're going to make a lot of money when this SEC network thing starts, but you got to invest some of it into basketball. We cannot have you uh, spending everything on football, spending a little bit on baseball, and having nothing to put on air during basketball season. Well, you go through the years. Obviously, Arkansas has upgraded its coaching staff. Obviously, Alabama has Bruce Pearl. Unbelievable job. I was thinking about this watching Auburn the other day. Auburn basketball used to be the most irrelevant power conference program in America. They were the the SEC's equivalent of Minnesota or I can't even think of anybody. And now they're this, you have to watch Auburn. They're awesome. And so credit to the SEC, but I've been telling you for years, SEC basketball is on the uptick, and next year it ain't slowing down. Those four teams all have at least one big uh, 140-point win in their foreign tours. Uh, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, Kentucky are still there. And it should, it's worth mentioning, there's a couple really good teams that aren't even on tours right now. Uh, Texas A&M, I think, is a top 25 team coming into next year. Tennessee might be the favorite in the SEC and really intrigued by some of those new coaches, Matt McMahon at LSU, Chris Jans at Mississippi State. Uh, on and on and on. Uh, Todd Golden at Florida as well. I'm very intrigued by. Where Aaron was wrong. Let's stick to another college basketball story. And, and it's one that you know I wouldn't talk about, but this is kind of the perfect place to do it. On Thursday, we found out that Tom Izzo has signed a contract extension, a five-year deal, $6.5 million a year, $6.2 million a year, that is going to take him into his 70s as a head coach. And I don't know if I ever publicly said it, But I did kind of feel like when we got that wave of Roy Williams retires, Coach K retires, Jay Wright retires, I thought Tom Izzo might be the next one. Um, You know, first of all, Michigan State, since COVID canceled the 2020 NCAA tournament, that was a year where Michigan State was probably good enough to win the national championship. That was the year they had Cassius Winston. Ever since then, you know, they've been okay as a basketball program, but not elite. 15 and 13 during the COVID year, they lose in the first four to UCLA, who of course makes the final four. Last year, 23 and 13 lose in the second round to Duke when Duke made the final four. And so I kind of looked around at college basketball, where it was going, and I really thought Tom Izzo might be the next one out. He's an older guy, he's from the old school, he's been very vocal about the idea he's never liked the transfer portal. He's never wanted to do the transfer thing. He's an old school guy. He wants to bring you in. He wants to tear you down. He wants to yell his face off, and then he wants to build back up. And so I just kind of looked at his whole situation and just kind of said, I don't know if that guy is really built for the modern era of college basketball. I thought another year, maybe two, and he'd be gone. Instead, he signs a five-year contract, uh, expected to coach into his 70s, and it does not appear as though he's slowing down anytime soon. Where Aaron was right, let's wrap on a couple quick ones. Where Aaron was right, did you see this crazy USC NIL story where essentially USC has their, their collective that was started by the school to connect 
brands and organizations with, uh, with players. And USC Boosters weren't having it. And USC Boosters are now trying to form their own collective and basically pay players out of pocket, pay, pay players a salary or whatever, essentially very similar to what I talked about on Wednesday's show with Arkansas basketball. Texas Tech football is also paying players about 25000 apiece. SMU, I think it's in the $36,000 range. Um, and so USC's boosters are doing this, um, and it's without the approval of the school. Mike Bone, the AD, is basically like, man, I, I, I don't know about this, but I don't want anything to do with it uh, because if the NCAA actually starts to enforce uh, NIL stuff, we could get in trouble for this. Where I'm right, though, is I've been telling you for a month. USC, there's been all these reports. Jordan Addison made this, Caleb Williams that, da-da-da-da. It's all about NIL. Lincoln Riley's going out there with bags of cash. USC is behind in NIL. They've been behind in NIL. Caleb Williams, yeah, he got a lot of great NIL deals because he's a quarterback, he's a name brand, and quarterbacks at any level are going to be able to make money crap. There are high school quarterbacks right now that could make hundreds of thousands of dollars in NIL if their state allows it. And so Caleb Williams is the exception. But Jordan Addison did not get anywhere close to $4 million coming to USC. I can tell you that right now. And it's much the same for many of the other players that have decided to come to USC. I told you they were behind. I told you they, they need to catch up. They're not doing what some of these other schools are doing, uh, and it was proven this week because USC boosters are basically saying, we want to win at the highest level. Let's, let's take control of this program, uh, and we're going to do it the way that we want. It'll be an interesting story to follow as they do not have USC's school support on this. Finally, where Aaron was wrong, um, you know, NFL story, what's going on in New England is kind of wild right now, right? Bill Belichick won't name an offensive coordinator. It appears as though Matt Patricia, a former defensive coordinator, head coach of the Lions, is calling plays. What a bizarre story out there. And I'll be honest, when the Belichick-Brady thing happened, I kind of leaned team Belichick on that one, right? You know, you watch the end of that, that game against the Titans in the playoffs. Uh, Brady looks old and feeble in the cold weather. And I think what you start to realize as time has gone on is Brady looked old and feeble because Belichick gave him absolutely no weapons. Well, now he's got a second-year quarterback who isn't a Hall of Famer with no weapons and no offensive coordinator. Uh, it could be a long season in New England. Uh, you, you know, We'll talk more NFL football as we get in. We're obviously mostly a college show, but this will be a fascinating story to follow as the New England Patriots appear to have no offensive coordinator, second-year uh, quarterback with no real skill position talent. It will be an adventure to watch them. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Want to thank you guys and girls for your support. First of all, this show got out a little bit later than usual than I like on Friday, but it didn't stop us from having a good time. Thank you all for your support, and thank you for listening. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Go ahead, leave a rating and review. So many of you have done that over the last couple weeks. I really do appreciate it. Helps us move up those iTunes charts. Helps us people become aware of this show. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Uh, and I think that's all for today's show. Fun show. By the way, make sure you're finding the College Football Betting YouTube channel. Help that grow. Uh, help uh, College Football Betting in general go. And then I'll tell you this. We got some really exciting stuff coming at AT Media, so make sure you're paying attention there. But it isn't, in fact, time for me to get out of here on a Friday. Thank you again for listening. And that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. 
Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back on Monday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.